What if I told you that that pile of paper sitting next to you represented an enemy to your organization in plain sight? Today, an interview with Gretchen Moran, master organizer on tripling your productivity through better organization. You're listening to The Buck Stops Here. We're really excited to invite him to the show today, Gretchen Moran, who is the owner of Simply Living KC. She is a master organizer and has worked in the corporate sector for decades as an executive assistant before going out on her own and starting her own company back in 2018. And what she does in her business on a daily basis is she goes in and organizes not only the businesses for these executives, but also a lot of times organizes things in their personal lives as well. So with that, without further ado, I wanted to welcome Gretchen to the show. Gretchen, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate you um, and the opportunity. Oh, no, totally. Glad to have you. So um, first of all, you started your business back in 2018, and you are a quote-unquote master organizer. Can you, for the audience listening right now to the show, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Well, um, Typically, people in my field call themselves professional organizers. Um, I think because of my background and where I came from, um, I didn't really, well, and I think a lot of it too is that I didn't, I don't really necessarily like the proper names of things. I, I, I have a little bit of creative in my brain, so I wanted to be a little more creative with it, but then also be able to capture what it is that I have accomplished um, thus far in my life. Um, there's also some, just like a, a CPA, you know, um, and doctors and other people with, you know, fancy initials behind their names. There is a certification for a person, a professional organizer. Um, and I did not have that. And so I felt that at the time, um, I wanted to be able to encompass, um, the work that I've done. Um, but then also be able to, to speak the message, um, that, I'm really good at what I do. I'm really good at organizing, but I didn't really consider myself a professional um, just yet. So I really liked the idea of um, creating a more, um, um, I don't know, off-label kind of title. Um, and I'm not really a title person anyway, but I mean, I realize as a business owner, you have to be able to put some kind of descriptor behind what you do. So to just boil this down, you don't just come in... Um kind of, you know, I mean, kind of the most famous person on that kind of professional organizing space is probably Maria Kondo right mm-hmm. now. Everybody knows who she is right now. Yeah. But what you're not doing, you're not just going in and organizing people's spaces. What you actually do is you actually go into organizations with your background as executive assistants for um, oil and gas and healthcare. You're actually going into these C-suite executive levels and you're actually helping them organize pieces of the business. That's cor- Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I th- and I think too that that kind of maybe sets me apart from what other organizers are out in the community doing. Um, you know, I um had an opportunity to look at other professional organizers in the Kansas City area and what I have seen is they mainly concentrate on spaces, organizing spaces. Um and I'm I'm really good at that. My my home is pretty organized and so I live what I preach and speak. Um, but then also um, capturing my just my life experience and what I have done in the corporate world and, you know, not just organizing the, you know, managers and supervisors and executives that I've worked with, um, but leaving those offices 
in way better shape than I found them. And I could say that for probably just about every organization that I work with. So why would you say, in a nutshell, why would you say, uh, why do business owners need to be worried about organizing their professional offices or professional space or the way they do business? Why would you say that's important? Well, I think as business owners, um, all of us are concerned about our bottom line. You know, it affects um, how much time you're spending um, doing certain tasks. And if you're spending more of your personal time as a business owner um, looking for documents or looking for something to do your the work that you need to do, time is money. Um, and so at the end of the day or at the end of the quarter or at the end of the year, um, you're not at your uh, revenue levels that you want to be at, a lot of that could be attributed um, back to the amount of time that you're spending doing tasks that are not, that are not um, revenue producing activities. So um, I've read some studies that stated that by achieving better processes and efficiencies, the kind of average, not, not the executive level companies, mm-hmm. but a lot of the, the kind of companies up to like 250 employees, right? You know, kind of these companies and kind of the, um, without a, you know, kind of in the, the 1 million to $50 million a year revenue level, a lot of these companies could triple their, um, their profitability or, or reduce the cost by possibly a third by introducing better organization practices and things like that. Mm-hmm. So if this seems so mind bogglingly obvious, <laughs> why in your experience do these businesses not do that? This seems like found money. You know, it's like, don't step over a hundred dollar bill, pick it up. Right. Uh, so no, I mean, but why, why in your experience, do they, do they not engage in this? Um, most of these, um, folks have started these businesses from an idea. They've started it from their garage or from an office in their home and they built it into a fabulous business. Um, but along the way, um, their heart has gotten in the way of, um, practicality logic um and you know just just the bottom line they've just not they've not been able to let go of um of the heart and you know the heart and soul that you have even have put into your business you know if you're still having a hard time letting go of that decision making process for a certain aspect of your business um you know there's there's fallout from that so i think that's probably the biggest struggle that you know if you're growing from a small business to a medium-sized business, your ability to let go of those decisions and, and handling those tasks, it's, it's, it's paramount to the, the, um, the speed of the growth that you're able to, to make. Okay. See, that's, that's a really interesting point. So what you're suggesting is it's a lot of it is, you know, when you talk to these executives, uh, it sounds like a lot of times they know that they need to do these things. They know these things are kind of, for lack of a better term, baggage that they're carrying with them, but they don't realize that it's okay to let it go or they're emotionally invested in the kind of a process that's, if you built your company, I, there's a, there's a phrase I've used before and uh, people are like, you know, um, you know, people are like, you know, raising a company is like, you know, raising children. And I always said that that was really silly. Uh, because in some respects, raising children is much easier because your children are going to grow up as long as they get fed, clothed, and housed, they're going to grow up whether or not you do anything else. But your business will crash and burn if you're not actively engaged in that, right? And I'm not saying, by the way, in case you're listening, uh, I'm not saying that businesses are more important than children. No, no, they aren't. But 
at the end of the day, they do require a different kind of care. And um, but a lot of times we carry things with us for lack of a better reason. Um, it's kind of like the person, you know, you, you meet and they're like, what are all these boxes in your attic? And they're like, oh, these are my baby clothes. And they're, they're like, for your kids, your kids are like 40. They're, they have kids of their kids. And I was like, do they want these baby clothes? Well, no. Well, do you hug these baby clothes a lot? Do you pull them out and play with them? I mean, what do you do with these things? They're like, no, they're in an attic. And you go out there and you're like, man, this is kind of. This is kind of gross. I don't know. I mean, wh- wh- why do... So I wonder if it's this emotional attachment to things you've done or because you did it that way in the past and it kind of worked for you when you were a five-person organization. Mm-hmm. And and Gretchen, I, as you know, what worked for you when you were five people isn't going to work for you in your 500. I mean, it's right. a different set of skills, right? right. So, so you think it's just, it's partly the emotional tie-in or is it that they need someone as an outside force to kind of give them permission to say that that's okay? Well, I think that could be, you know, it could be um, even just the personality. I mean, there's a wide array of personalities um, that drives a business owner. Um, But I think also, you know, there was there was something else that I was thinking about um, other than just I, you know, I can do it all. I can wear all the hats. I can I can do them. I think I'm the only one that knows how to do it right. I know the results that I want, and this is how I want it done. And they oftentimes think that if I delegate this or I give this um, responsibility to someone else, that they won't do it as good as I can. And I, and I think that could be to a fault. Well, okay. So let me let me play devil's advocate here just for a second, Gretchen. <laughs> I, I, as a business owner, have had many examples of where I decided to delegate something to these other people. And then they did screw it up. And, you know, I had to swoop in and save the day. Mm. Uh, what advice would you give to, to me? Because I'm going to look at you and say, well, you know, they did screw it up. So I, I had to do these things. So what advice would you give to a business owner who's had that example and they've had that experience? And now they're like, well, I can't possibly give this to this other person because they will mess it up. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, two questions I would ask. Um, One of them is um, if you allowed that person to, to make the mistakes, because even as us as business owners, we've made mistakes and we've learned them the hard way. You, you give them some space to, to let them make that mistake, but then you're also empowering them to step up and and take the reins and maybe do things a little bit differently. Um, I think that is so important for people um, for to build loyalty, um, to build the buy-in. You know, if they have the same you know mission and values and um, immutable laws that you do, you know, and you can coach them along in that process, and they have the buy-in that you do, they're going to do an amazing job. Number one, they're they're going to work really hard to not screw up again <laughs> um, and to help, you know, to build that, to build the trust factor. So, you know, I, I just think that that's so, um, it can be so rewarding uh, for a business owner to be able to um, kind of wrap their arms around them. Hey, I know you, you know, screwed this up. Um, I'm going to give you another chance, you know, to come in and kind of redeem yourself and, and sink your teeth into it. And it just, it just gives people the opportunity to step up and to, you know, a better role or, you know, more responsibility um, to, you know, help you kind of envision things, maybe take your business in a, in a way that you hadn't thought of before. Uh, they always say that sale your, uh, what is it? 
uh, success is not the best teacher, um, you know, failure or mistakes are because you don't forget those things. That's exactly right. Um, That's right. I, I wonder, I wonder how many business owners are out there just running their kind of their business on autopilot just because they've been successful and they haven't been smacked. They haven't flown it into a wall yet. Right. So, uh, Gretchen, before we, we had this meeting today, I, I'd asked you, uh, when I met you, I said, what do you think the three biggest, uh, organizational mistakes that the companies make? It just kind of off the top of your head, you said, um, that a lot of these executives live in kind of a cluttered space, you know, the cluttered space is cluttered mind kind of thing. You said uh, number two was that um, because they're in the business and they're having to do so many things all the time. I mean, these are executives don't put in 40 hour work weeks. That's kind of a joke, right? It's, right. it's like, it's like, when have you worked 40 hours? And then the executive will tell you the last time I was on vacation. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, number two is that their lives are offer, often in chaos because they're doing so many things and they don't have time to do these other things. And the third one you said was that um, a lot of these executives you run into to are kind of spending time all day putting out fires and that kind of creates a culture of reactivity, reactivity in their business. So if you want to take these kind of one at a time, tell me about the, the cluttered space, cluttered mind thing. Because I, I tend to be a little cluttered. And when you told me that I was, you know, I, I personally was like, well, she's talking about me. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. So let's talk about that for a minute, if you would. Well, it's, it's interesting. So, you know, I, um, in my previous life, I call my previous life, my first marriage. Um, I was married to an individual who I was deeply in love with very early on. We have three kids together. Um, but he, um, became an alcoholic um, and dabbled into drugs. And, you know, so it just left me feeling very, um, out of control in certain areas of my life. Um, but what I could control of what, um, what, you know, was under my ability and power was in my own home. Um, and so because of my DNA from my mom and things, you know, just in my own uh, personal life and how I had been trained up as a child, um, being organized and having a clean and tidy home um, became very easy to me. But I also found too that um, it was almost therapeutic because you know there were things that were out of control in my life that I things happening that I didn't have control of. Um, but there were certain things that I did have control of, um, and so having a, an orderly home just gave me such a sense of peace um, that you know I. I, I can't even begin to explain to you if I would have had chaos going on in my emotional and relational life and chaos happening in my home, I, I, I don't even know what would have happened. I wouldn't have you know, been able to get through life the way that I was able to get through it. So I think you know, that was just foundational for me um, as an individual. But you know, even further deeper into that, you know, I have done a lot of research on and just reading clinical studies. Um, just trying to figure out my own brain a little bit, like why is it that I had this need to do that? But as I started doing more research, um, and seeing all of these hundreds of clinical studies that have been done on the effects of seeing visual clutter and how it affects us mentally and emotionally, um, and so it uh, it started to make sense to me why I had that such that deep need in my own life. Um, but then also seeing that in other people's lives and the people that I worked with um, when I was still in the corporate world. And so learning a lot of that, you know, I've been able to help people that I am working with my clients to see the value in, you know, you have this space around you and it's no wonder you can't focus and concentrate on the work you need to do because you got so much stuff 
out here that you're visually looking at, that it's you're having a hard time focusing on what you need to do. Because if you see a pile of paper over on your desk, you instantly start to feel this like stress and pressure. You're like, oh my gosh, I know that I need to deal with that pile. And there's something in there I need to get out. And now I can't remember what it is, but I remember I was supposed to get that to my accountant. But you've sat down at your desk to write an email, but suddenly you've caught yourself looking at this pile. And so your brain just starts clicking away. And so it, it keeps you from being able to stay focused on what it is you're trying to do in that moment. So I, I, I guess it's, um, it's kind of like, you know, business owners as a rule, um, the, the one thing all business owners were supposed to be able to project in the future. You know, you're supposed to have your performance. You're supposed to talk about where you are next quarter, next mm. year. What is your five-year goals? Which, I mean, <laughs> gosh, the past past few years with the pandemic, it's like, man, those are really different right. now. But I think for a lot of business owners, um, and, I, and I'm going to relate this back to the pandemic a little bit. That was an area that it introduced a high level of chaos into pretty much anybody running a company. Mm. Um, it was an unexpected event. It's kind of like living in the middle of a hurricane. And um, you are looking for that kind of eye of the storm, that kind of moment of calm where you can kind of do things. Mm -hmm. And if I'm, if I'm distilling this down, a lot of this is, is that by having a more orderly workspace and area, you aren't kind of engaging that reactive part of your brain. It allows you to have control over some solos over a small part of what you're mm -hmm. doing. And, and, and by doing that, you can focus on the bigger goals, the bigger things you need to be involved with. Yeah. Um, we just figured finished a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago that was uh, it was about uh, you know decision making and things like that and we kind of said if you if these things are black and white and they're clear then you as an executive probably shouldn't be making those decisions right you need to be dealing with the the authority kind of questionable you know decisions where there's not an A and B there's literally A through Z as far as answers go and you need to be spending your time doing that because you're the only one with the capabilities to do that so I think the the first step of this is is that if I'm if I'm getting this right from you is that it's going to provide some solace. It's going to provide you vision. It's going to provide you the clarity of purpose to kind of laser in on what decisions you need to be making mm -hmm. and focus on those instead of the reactionary portion of that pile of papers over there. Right. I feel like I'm pointing at a pile of papers right now. <laughs> um, so uh, there's that. Uh, is that a fair restatement of what you're kind of getting to here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the second, the second one of these is that you, uh, you mentioned about their lives kind of being in chaos. Mm -hmm. And I, I got from you the impression that that was a function of, of um, time. And maybe it's a time management problem. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, if, if the only time you get to spend, you know, 30 hours a week working at your job is when you're allegedly on vacation. Uh, so how does, how does that work with you? You said that a lot of it's they don't know how or why to delegate. Is that a function of where you came from? If you could just talk about that for a minute for us. Yeah. Um, so I think the how and the why and the what to delegate, um, I think those are definitely the next um, pieces of the puzzle to kind of, um, you know, get your, get your teeth sunk into um, as you're thinking about, you know, how, how do I how do I take everything in this business and kind of funnel it into, um, you know, more organized patterns or pillars or, you know, however you like to um, kind of organize your, your business. So much of human behavior is based on what you learned. So how, you know, how your parents dealt with things, um, maybe even in a college, if you had, you know, a professor or a teacher um, somewhere in your life and how they dealt with things. You know, we take all of those, um, 
learning and wisdom when we were when we were kids in our formative years growing up. And so much of that um, determines how um, just in our DNA and our learned behaviors, um, what it is that we take into our life as adults. So, you know, how figuring out like how it is that you got to where you are. Um, and then um, as far as, you know, just delegating, um, a lot of that too is personality. I am, I'm such a studier of um, of human behavior and I absolutely love it. Um, but I think, you know, once you kind of understand how your brain operates um, and getting more in tune with how your brain operates, um, you just become more self-aware. And once you can get more self-aware and where you are um, in the way that you make decisions, I, I think that can determine, um, you know, if you're going to take a slow path to growth or you're going to take a fast path to growth. All right. So as a self-confessed recovering control freak, <laughs> uh, how would you recommend to somebody like me? What do I, what decisions, how do I start delegating? Is there a way for me to kind of dip my toes into delegation? Like, I don't feel like I should just talk to my person tomorrow and say, we're expanding to Wyoming. I need you to go come up with a five-step business plan for it and on my desk by tomorrow at two. <laughs> I don't know that I could feel comfortable doing that. So how do you how do you dip your toes into that if you're not necessarily comfortable with that part of it yet? You know, uh, how do you know when to delegate and what to delegate? Or how do you how do you dip your toes in it? Well, you have to start small. You know, how you have to start just with little small things uh, because, you know, which I think we'll probably talk about in the in another episode, is you have to establish that trust first. Um, so it, whether it's, you know, an admin person or a salesperson or your marketing person or a tech person. You know, you have to be able to delegate those small things and see what they can do. So are they going to rise to the challenge and, and are they going to take it and like run with it? Um, or are they going to kind of hold back? Are they going to be nervous? Are they going to be, you know, um, standoffish? Um, and it could be you're trying to present an opportunity and then you find out that they are not who you thought they were and that you may need to let that person go. So, you know, it's giving you some opportunity as a business owner to be able to see if your people um, are measuring up or if they're not. So, you know, I, I think there's, it, it's twofold benefit there. So um, that, that gives me a second that this can really take us into the, end of the no BS portion of the podcast. Just for a minute. Um, if you're listening to this podcast right now, or you're watching it online, um, there's a few things that Gretchen's saying here that are really part of that no bullshit persona you need to adopt in your business. What got you to two people or to five people or to 10 people won't get you to 50. And what got you to 50 won't get you to 500. At the end of the day, delegation and proper assignment of tasks and relinquishing control to other people in the company is something that is vital for you if you want to grow your organization. You will not grow without it and you'll never move beyond kind of there's a barrier to about 10 people for organizations. If you have more than 10 people in your organization, the skills required to go to 25 and to 50 are very different. And you eventually in your organization, this is the delegation part, you have to hire people who are better than you at the things you were once the expert in your organization at. So for example, if you were the top salesperson in your company, you grew everything because you had the gift of gab and you could close deals. If you want to move to 25 or to 50 people, they're going to have to hire people who are better at you and delegate those skills and trust them with it. If you can't do that, you're never going to grow past a certain limit. And that self-limit, if you're okay being that, if you want to just have that lifestyle business or you're okay being at 10 people, then be comfortable with that. But don't bullshit yourself at the end of the day, my friend. 
at the end of the day, you got to understand in order to grow, you have to delegate because you can't do it all yourself. And great things are only built in teams. So coming back to what we're doing right now is the third part of this you said. And it was the culture of reactivity you talked about. You talked about fires, about those existing in your company and then putting out fires all day. Mm. Tell me how that relates to organization. (laughs) So, you know, I think about um, a lot of guys in the trade. So I've I've done a lot of um, just conversations. Um, I've done a little bit of consulting with some of the um, guys that are working in the trades. Um, so these guys are really good at the hands-on work that they do. They're not necessarily really good at like the back end office kind of stuff. And, you know, cause they're out working a trade. They're, you know, out, you know, fixing plumbing issues and putting in electrical boxes and, you know, building buildings, you know, these kinds of things they are not necessarily good what's happening here. So, you know, they kind of get in this mode of, you know, when you're dealing with other guys in, in that, in their trade or in their line of work, you know, stuff coming up all the time. And they're just, you know, putting out fires like constantly, you know, you've got a trouble with this vendor, you got a, you know, some kind of conflict with this subcontractor. And, you know, you just get in the, in the vibe of you're just putting out fires all the time. And it, you know, it's really stressful. And so what happens is, um, you start to create this culture of, you know, putting out fires. So if you're the boss and you're the one that's having to put the fires out all the time and all your guys are around you and you're teaching them, oh, this is what the business is. We're just putting out fires all the time. You're saying in particular, it's the, it sounds like they don't have um, the training or their skill set or have never been, nobody's ever talked about how to manage the business. Is that kind of part of it? Yeah, I think that's a huge piece of it. You know, if these guys have come into, come into their trade Um, come into their service work, you know, maybe they learned it from their father, um, but not really understanding the business side of it. You know, I think you, you have probably heard it said you're, you're a reader like I am, you know, um, if let's say you're in a sales position and you're really good at sales and you're the top sales guy in your organization and your boss says, oh my gosh, you're the best sales guy that we've got. Your numbers are awesome. You're always producing every single month. I'm going to make you a manager. Do you think that that sales guy is also a good manager? He might be. Yeah, I, I, I think be. it's game. It's it's gambling, right? That's I mean, exactly it's like right. it's like occasionally. It's not flipping a coin. It's like winning at roulette. You know, it's like one in thirty something, right? Right. right. So just because you're really, really good at this area or this, you know, this focus, and you've made a business out of it, it doesn't mean that you know how to do the accounting. You know how to do marketing. You know how to, you know, put your papers together for your tax account, like all of these little bitty pieces that are vital to your business. That doesn't mean you know how to do them. So, you know, if you're out there working in your trade and you're doing your business, doing all of the work and you have no process for how the other things get done, you're going to be putting out fires, whether it's putting out fires all the time um, out in the field or you're just in a constant state of chaos because you don't have those systems and processes in place. So partly, I wanted to address this culture reactivity you're talking about because I can see definitely where that happens. And I, I, um, I know that you, um, on the podcast, we do some consulting with some, some companies, et cetera. And um, you know, I have seen a lot of times, to kind of what you're talking about, I've seen 
it's just a warm body. It's like you don't have somebody in bookkeeping and you're like, well, John kind of is, knows he knows math, <laughs> you know, so how hard could it be? You know, or the or the the, the classic case is the salesperson you promote the manager, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe one in 10 are qualified and, and they can become good managers if they even want to be managers mm-hmm. that they the, that maybe they love what they were doing. Um. It's really interesting. And that culture of activity, I, I think, you know, you've worked for some very large organizations. Did you find that they were much better at not creating that culture than the smaller ones? Or was it similar? I think it was better. Um, I think that there, um, in my experience, I would say um, it could be industry specific too. You know, I, I, a big chunk of my career, I worked in healthcare um, and the level of executives um, and supervisors that I worked with. Um, we're not reactionary because they have such good systems and processes in place. You literally have an algorithm of when this happens, then this has to happen. And then either this happens or this happens. And then if, you know, so it's literally just an algorithm and that's how they do it in the healthcare. Um, I worked in the accounting field. That was definitely lots of structure, lots of processes in place. Um, I worked for CPA and audit firms, you know, these, those all did some things very similarly as well, but then you can work in other organizations, um, like retail, um, or the food industry. And those can tend to attract reactionary people, um, people from all walks of life who may not, um, necessarily operate on those systems and processes. Um, so a lot of times it just depends on, depends on the person. Um, not necessarily the industry, but, you know, depend just the, the personality. So I have just a, a one final question before we kind of wrap what we, we interview up today. It's like, what would you consider to be the, on the buck stops here, it's kind of like we don't get to lie to ourselves about things. Mm. What are the biggest lies that you've seen business owners tell themselves about their organization's organization? Mm. You know, what, what are the things you've seen them kind of like tell themselves or sell themselves on? I can do all the things. I can wear all the hats and I'm good at all of them. All right. So to kind of to kind of sum up at the end here, if they listen to this interview today, if if they get to go back and put that kind of in their organization today, I mean, you know, it's just a, like these are the tips, you know. Yeah. What would those three be? Um I I think of the three 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 best um, takeaways that I could give uh, your audience today. Uh, number one, I think would be to just recognize your blind spots. Um, figure out where um, where your weaknesses are, where your blind spots are. Um, and those are the areas that you sh- really should be delegating. Um, maybe you um, are not the best at your QuickBooks. That's probably something that you can delegate because you're not you're not that is, that particular task is not an income producing activity. It's something that is essential and must be done. Find someone that's really good at that and let them do it because um, honestly, it's it's an inexpensive um, cost to your business um, to have an expert do that for you. Um, I, I would say probably the second thing that they need to remember is that time is money. Um, whether you think about, um, you know, you having, um, good time, time management skills you may have, you may not have. Um, but time is money. So if you think about a task that you are getting ready to do, and if you were to be able to bill your client, um, for that work, so I, I charge my clients hourly. 
if I'm going to sit down and do a task that I could charge my client for, would I be able to charge my hourly rate for that task? So I think that is one question that I, I talk to all of my client, my business clients about, you know, if you're sitting down to do a task that's going to take you three hours, could you ethically and morally send a bill to your client for that task at your hourly rate as the business owner? If that answer is no, then that's something you need to be delegating. Um, and then I think the third, the third thing is, is, um, is to have those systems, creating systems and processes. And you can start small. It doesn't have to be, you know, great big, huge things. It could be something as simple as getting away from paper and just scanning your documents and creating an electronic file system, because that's going to save you time and money. So if that's just something small you can do, start small, uh, but start, you know, make little small changes, small increments um, to doing something that's going to create a process. Um, number one, it's going to, that will save you time and money. Um, and it's going to be something that um, I made up this word a long time ago, and it's setting up a system that's duplicatable. So is this something, a system that I can create that I can teach someone else how to do so that I don't have to do it? And then the next person, say that person leaves your organization and comes in, is that this process is going to have to be something that can be carried down to the next person that takes this role. So with that, um, I wanted to thank Gretchen for coming on uh, the podcast today. Really appreciate that. The name of her business is Simply Living KC. If you'd like to find out more about Gretchen, we're going to have links below online um, if you're seeing this on YouTube. And if they want to find you, Gretchen, where can they connect with you on social media? Um, I do have a Facebook page um, and I am on Instagram, but I, I mostly connect with my audience on my website. Okay. Yep. So they can call you or fill out a form and get in contact yep. with you? They sure can. All right. Excellent. Well, if stay tuned, listeners. We have another uh, kind of a bonus episode coming up. Uh, Gretchen's going to tell us all about how to hire the most important kind of Swiss Army person in your company, and that is your executive assistant. And that and more on the Buck Stops Here podcast. Thank you. Thanks to Gretchen for coming on the podcast today. If you'd like to find out more about what she does, you can go to simplyliving-kc.com. That's simplyliving-kc.com. Again, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a thumbs up, share it with your friends, or give us a five-star review on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever else great podcasts are hosted. Again, I've been your host, David Maples. Thank you for listening and have an amazing week.